it comes down to having a strong enough motivation to overcome any obstacle that's going to be in your way. Whether it's setting your alarm for 5 a.m. and waking up, or not spending the money on those shoes that you don't need, or going to the gym even though you're exhausted and you don't feel like it. If your motivation is stronger than all those things, you are going to achieve your goals. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars listeners, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, and I want to introduce you to our newest sponsor of our show. You know, go listen to episode 1119, where I interviewed Amy Stockberger, and during the interview, she told me about this wild VIP program that she does that really helps generate referral business. So she calls it the copy and paste formula to implement and monetize your VIP club. Now she's selling a course all about it. This course will show you how to make the ultimate shift from feeling overwhelmed and frustrated feeling empowered and motivated with copy and paste tools that are seamless to implement. While I was interviewing her, I was writing down the names of so many people that I know in my network that need to implement this right away. A few of you listeners actually called you and said, hey, you guys should be doing something like this. That was before I realized she had a whole course that she's trying to build out here. You know, if you sign up for a course, you're going to experience a steady stream of high quality leads, turn all your clients into referring machines and add additional streams of revenue. By the end of this course, you're going to have learned the game changing value of how lifetime lead strategy equips you for business buying, applied an easy copy and paste roadmap and monetize your VIP club. Stop giving away your commission in exchange for high referral fees, add or increase your transaction fee. It lays the groundwork for adding an additional six figure revenue stream. I was so impressed with the systems that she's doing. So simple and easy. Hey, you know, I've seen people do this before, but she's doing everything. How about having a moving van that has your name on the side of it and anybody that uses your services gets to use that for free in the future. You're not just providing a value to your customers, but you're also advertising everywhere throughout town while they're using your services. What about a bounce house for your kid's birthday party? She has those as part of the package. What about the heaters if you're trying to throw a party outside and it's a little bit cold? She has those. They're all personally branded, so people are using your stuff. It's a value for them, and they're advertising you as an agent. I think the process is really, really brilliant. So here's the URL if you want to go check it out. www.startyourvipclub.com. And by being a Real Estate Rockstars listener, they have a special code for $200 off. Here's that code, R-E-R-S-V-I-P. Go to startyourvipclub.com, R-E-R-S-V-I-P. Go check it out. Or go listen, episode 1119, and learn more about it. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. I'm really excited to be interviewing Rachel Richards again. I was just pulling it up. Last time I interviewed her, September 2020. No way. Yeah, during like some of the craziest time. But by that time, like market's kind of on fire. Like real estate's humming and doing well. Half the world is like no masks. Half the world is still like hurting at the time, like really, really weird stuff. You had a couple books, but I tell you so many of my listeners reached out afterward and they thought it was super cool because I always say like, we only interview real estate agents. We only do that. And the, and we like make exceptions now and then, but the hope is that we're making exceptions. It's exceptional. And what we heard last time was so many people said it was exceptional. The, you know, with, with, with all that, we got to talk about, you know, last time it was retired at age 27 and like, how did you do it? So before we go into what's, I want to say what's changed since then, because now it's been two and a half years ish, but the, but like, let's go back to a little bit of the cliff notes. Yeah, for uh, sure. Your transition from corporate America to like being able to be retired. The, yes. so what, was that, what was that part of your life? That's a fun story. And I'm so glad your listeners liked the first interview. So that makes me happy. Um, how did I quit my job and retire, which I say in quotes because I still work. I'm just financially independent. So I always make that clarification. Get, always get yeah. some heat for that. Um, but how did I do that by age 27? So it started in 2017 for me and I was 24 years old at the time. And I'm previously married. So this was a joint effort between my ex-husband. I'm always very upfront with the advantages I have and the advantages I did not have. So, you know, having a 
husbands who invest with meant that I only had to come up with half of the money I might have had to otherwise. Of course, there's all sorts of tactics around money that we can talk about. So at that time in 2017, my ex-husband and I purchased our first rental property, which was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. And later that year, I self-published my first book, Money Honey. So we had those two passive income streams and we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could. And fast forward to 2019, which is a year before I came on your show, we had grown our portfolio to 38 doors and we were making $10,000 a month in profits from our real estate portfolio. So that was more than enough for us to be financially independent. I quit my job in 2019, fast forward to today, 2023, and I'm now living off I'm now divorced and I'm now living off $20,000 a month in passive income. So that's the high level. I make it sound really good, but it was a, it was a, I made a lot of mistakes. So I'll throw that out there as well. Yeah. And the, I asked you before, but the, like, like, so where do you live now? What's your life like now? (laughs) Um, I'm a full-time nomad and I get a lot of mixed reactions to that. Some people think that's really cool. And some people think it's really weird because I don't have a house. I don't have a car. I live out of Airbnbs and I drive rental cars and I just travel all over. And I think it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. What's one of your favorite places that you've like been being a nomad in the last year? I did my first solo trip to Europe and I went to Italy and Croatia for two months over the summer. And that was really, really cool. I just spent three weeks in Croatia. It was so cool. And I just, it blew my mind. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was incredible. I thought it was the, the, uh, I mean, the dollar goes a long way there. So the, you can, you know, you can get great meals for four and five bucks. Like the, every, everything was just the way the transfer money, the dollar gets you twice as much there. So luxurious stuff. We ended up going with the GoBundance guy, a bunch of GoBundance friends. And we like stayed in a yacht and like went, went up and down the river over, you know, a couple of weeks at the Baltic. And it was, man, it was, it was something else. And like, we were like, we went to a club inside like a 1600 year old castle, um, we got to see so much history of like all the different wars and battles. Um, I haven't spent much time in Europe and that was like the oldest country that I've hung out in there other than like, I've been to London and France, but that was the first one that was outside there and really um, inspiring. And, uh, and yeah, like the, no, no time like the present to be living your life, doing that as your nomad. So are you back in the U.S. now? I am. Uh, right now I'm at my parents in Kentucky because we're still kind of in the holiday season. I'm about to go to South America for a few weeks and then back to Colorado for a little bit. Yeah. What a fun life. The uh, <laughs> I love South America too. You know, one of the things that I remember when, when I first interviewed you was like on like some of the tactics that I think, I don't, I don't, I'm sure you talk about it in one of your books, was so many people right now is like, we're in recession. Some people will argue with me. Some people won't like the, um, in a lot of places, times are tougher. Things are tighter. People are, people are canceling subscriptions to like, we sell a bunch of business. We have a bunch of subscription services, different company. People are like looking at their credit card statements and going like, I need, what, what charges can I get rid of? What stuff can I discount? And I know it's, it's a similar challenge to trying to retire early is trying to survive when you start making less money. Right. The, and maybe you don't think of it like that, but I think some of the tactics that you were trying to teach people back then of how to like retire would be really beneficial for people to hear about now. Um, I remember yes. one of them that you kind of said was if maybe I'm remembering it right or wrong, I was like, how do we cut costs? And you were like, it's more about like, how do you make more money? Is yeah. that right? Is that the right spin? Yeah, exactly. Cause whenever, and I've asked this in a lot of workshops and rooms and presentation, it's like, if you're trying to save money quickly, what do you do? And most people, and I, I used to feel this way too. I would say, well, I would stop eating out. I would cook at home more. I would cut back on online shopping. And I realized that the default we had to that question was to cut costs. And that's mm-hmm. great. I truly think that is half of the equation. That's absolutely necessary. You have to live below your means if you want to get ahead financially. And at the same time, someone on a limited or fixed income can only cut their costs so much. You know, you can't just stop paying your mortgage payment or your car insurance payment without consequences. So there's only Mm -hmm. so much you can do. You're limited. But if we instead look at the other half of the equation, because there's two ways to save more money, you can decrease your expenses or you can increase your income. And if you really focus on the second one as well, because you have to do both, that is where you're going to make some massive moves because there's no limit on how much money you can make per year. And once I had that mindset shift, 
and look for ways to have side hustles or work a part-time job or go for a raise or a promotion. I mean, there's tons of things you can do, but that's really when my journey to financial independence took off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's something that we don't think about enough. It's the, it's like the, the mindset of like half full, half empty, or like tighten the ship because it's getting worse. Or like, you know, some people will do really, really good over this next year. They'll find the hack. They'll find the business. Most of the, some of my biggest successes were happening from like 2009 to 2012 when the economy was getting crushed and housing prices were going down every week, every week a house was worth less. We were fighting that. And I was, and I was able to build a really crazy, unique business during that time that thrived in those markets. So, you know, I think as if people out there that are listening, as you start to, you know, in general, one of the ways that real estate agents usually think is, oh, well, if I, I just need more deals. I, if I, I need to get more deals, if I do another transaction a month, then that'll help, which is true. But there's also, as the market is like changing or there's less transactions, then maybe it's about rethinking some of those other ways. What are some other things out there that maybe relate to real estate that you could make income in some other ways? What are some extra little, you know, we say hustles out there. Like there's, uh, there's extra, what, what's the extra stuff we can do? There's lots of memes that nobody became a millionaire from cutting out, cutting out their Starbucks coffee, <laughs> right? Like the, um, you know, even though that adds up, right? You're 200 bucks a month on Starbucks coffee. It adds up, but the, but you'd probably find it easier to make an extra 200 bucks a month than you would be to go without your favorite, drink every day. Um, maybe 100%. Maybe some, maybe no, I agree. Some. I agree. And I think, I think earlier on in your journey, frugality is more important because you might not be making as much. You might not know how to start making as much. So that's kind of the only leverage you have on your financial situation. That's how I used to feel. And yeah. I feel like right now in this day and age, frugality is shunned. You know, there's this pushback on, and there's this movement of you only live once and you might as well enjoy your money now. And, and yes, to a little bit of that. But I also know for sure that if I hadn't been really frugal for a few years in my early 20s, I would not be where I am today. Because at one point I was making $36,000 and living on half of my income. I was saving half of that salary. So my budget was literally $1,500 a month. And people ask, well, where did you get the money for your first rental property? It's because I was saving half of a $36,000 salary and I was eventually able to save 10 grand after a couple of years. So that's where it came from. And that's where it all started for me. So I think it's more important to be frugal early on, but it's absolutely necessary to big build, to big build wealth. What am I saying? To build a big wealth. Yeah. It's absolutely necessary to then figure out ways to make massive amounts of money as well. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, it's much harder to go backwards, but the but where if wherever you are in your journeys, if you're early in your journeys, um, listeners, the I think it's it's great advice to be as frugal as you can now, save as much as you can, like go through that process slowly, because it's a lot easier to add in spending later than reverse it. Like yes, if you get a mortgage with a much bigger house, it is a lot harder to downsize. I've had to do that a few different times and it is so much harder to cut back after you have started this crazy different level of spending. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's the so same reason that I haven't ever flown first class. I mean, I could, but I know that once I do that, I'm just not going to want to go back. So I fly economy every single time still. <laughs> God, I've ruined, I've absolutely ruined my kids. Because <laughs> the, uh, that, that is one of my... I, yes, I, lo I love flying first class and all sorts of, you know, crazy weight. And it, it, what happened was I hardly ever did unless I got like the free upgrade. And then I went um, on a GoBundance trip to Africa years ago. And my buddy's like, hey, let's, let's get business class through Emirates for this one. It was like this total splurge. And it absolutely ruined any of my expectations of what flying was supposed to be like or could be like. And then at, out of the ultimate amount of selfishness too. Then as I start traveling with my kids, it's like, well, no, I want to fly in first class. So they do too. And now they're absolutely ruined because when <laughs> so home, funny. they're like, they're like sad when they get to, when they fly normal and it's like, Oh, I've, I messed that part up. I, the, I wish that my kids had your experience with that. And uh, you, you, you're a good long-term planner where you think a lot about like future or like you're, you're putting like you're putting money in the bank now for later, you're like, I'm going to make this choice now today. I'm going to make the hard choice today because it's going to make living, it's going to make life easier later. Sounds like. Yeah, the delayed gratification is very important for achieving financial freedom. Have you heard? You've heard of the marshmallow study by Stanford, right? Or maybe you haven't. No. 
Okay, no. this is really, really interesting. So Stanford University did a study back in the 60s or 70s or 80s or something like that. And they placed kids in a room. So each kid would be alone in a room. And they gave each child two marshmallows. And they said, or one marshmallow. And they said, hey, you can either eat this marshmallow now or if you just wait 15 minutes, if you just wait 15 minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow and then you'll have to have two marshmallows. So this is a really cool study about instant versus delayed gratification. And what's cool is that the kids in this study who were able to delay and wait those 15 minutes were found later to score higher on standardized tests, have better health, and have less stress. So delayed gratification is linked to all of these rewards later in life. And I for sure think it is linked to having enormous financial success later in life as well. So I always think that's an interesting one. That is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The every time in my life I try to get like extra healthy or like make these big changes. I do I try to do an Iron Man once a year because I know that like half the year I like to, you know, uh, eat cake and, and make bad decisions and, and then the Iron Man season helps me like get back to like eating healthy and doing the right thing. Um, at the end of this last year, I did a five day water fast. I actually just finished it like seven days ago where I did, I ate no food, no coffee for five days. Wow. And, which was crazy. I could go and, for five hours. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I, you know, the first two days I was pretty cranky and pretty hungry and like three or four days in, I really started to like see some benefits and it was this really fascinating thing. I wanted to try to re jumpstart that part of my brain that knows delayed gratification that says, it's the same with, with food or with money or with anything. I should save this money now so I have the money later. I don't I like yes, I it's nine o'clock at night and I'd really like to eat eat this cake, but I'll be feeling crappy in the morning or I'm not gonna hit my fitness goals next week if I do. And so like the no food for five days really helped reset so much of that where I found myself having to remind myself like here's the benefit of this decision today. Because delayed gratification also isn't fun. No. Saying no to the fun thing today. Like real estate agents, when you get that first commission or that second commission or a recent one, like you get this money and we've been locked up for a while on COVID and now we can go travel and you're like, hey, I want to go spend a bunch of it, which I love to live big. But at the same time, it's like, but what do we have for later as we do it? So the is there anything you tell yourself? Are you just so good at delayed gratification now that it's easy? Or do you have like any mantras or things you remind yourself to do that? I don't think it's ever easy, but I think it comes down to motivation level. And because anyone can be trying to hit a goal, but if it's easier to give in to what's easy in that moment than it is to remind yourself of what you're actually working towards, then you're, you're just going to give in. So you kind of have to be used to that discomfort and you, you have to have a strong enough motivation. There's this analogy that I love in the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And he talks about this. He's like, hey, if you are on top of a 100 story building, and I offered you 20 bucks to walk across the plank to the next building over, would you take that deal? And it's like, no, who's going to risk their lives for 20 bucks? Like, why do that? It's not enough incentive, right? And then he says, okay, now pretend like you're a parent and, or maybe you are a parent. And he says, imagine your child is standing on that next building over and the building is burning down and you have to walk across that plank to save your child. Now, would you do it? And And it's like, yeah. yeah. Of course, a hundred percent. And you wouldn't have to have 20 bucks either to do it. So you're, it comes down to having a strong enough motivation to overcome any obstacle that's going to be in your way, whether it's setting your alarm for 5am and waking up or not spending the money on those shoes that you don't need or going to the gym, even though you're exhausted and you don't feel like it. If your motivation is stronger than all those things, you are going to achieve your goals. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync 
and we switched from Sync to Followboss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used LineDesk. I've used Conversion. And I think Followboss gives you the most integrations that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user friendly it's just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race at Fallout Boss. Purely objective, Fallout Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Fallout Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. I love that. So your motivation must be stronger than, than what? Than the, than the challenges? Then the, yeah. Then whatever challenge is going to, is going to come up, whatever's going to stop you, whatever discomfort is going to be there in the short term. Yeah. The, you know, those are some things like every time you first start doing a miracle morning, right? I remember when I first started getting up, like where I'd wake up between at 4am or 5am, it's always a battle like the alarm clock goes off and it's like trying to remember and having extra stuff to incentivize. It's like, could I automatically turn the light on? Could I have the alarm clock across the room? The, but like what, but there's like the days like Christmas morning where everybody just wakes up and it's easy. It's like the motivation makes it easier to push through some of those things. So I haven't had it heard it. I haven't, I don't think I've heard that quote said like that or that concept said like that, but I think that's so important. And so, and I guess like day three of the water fast, I'm reading the, I keep rereading the benefits of the fast. I had to like get through the motivation because what I was thinking was I'm hungry, I'm cranky, I'm tired. Um, and I go, no, but by now your body's regenerating stem cells. It's getting rid of, you know, the dead precancerous cells and like starting over in some of the genetics. And so anyway, the, uh, delayed gratification is, is such a concept. So you have two books. Your first one was money, honey. Yes. And the, and your second, what was the name of your second one? My second one is passive income, aggressive retirement. The, and both those are like top sellers, best sellers. Just do a quick highlight of both of those for any of the listeners that, that you know, maybe want to go back and get one of those. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Money, honey is a personal finance book and I wrote it to write about the topic and teach the topic in a way that would be sassy and fun and simple. And I really wrote it at the time for my friends, my girlfriends, female millennials, but now a lot of people love it and a lot of people read it. So that's money, honey. And then passive income, aggressive retirement. I wrote in the year that I quit my job because I was starting to tell some people like, Hey, I'm going to be able to quit and become financially independent this year. And I'm making $10,000 a month in passive income. And I was 27 and people were like, what are you, how, how is that happening? What are you doing? So I realized there was a lot of thirst for this kind of knowledge. And I became obsessed with learning everything about passive income, which by the way, you don't have to be a landlord to create passive income. There are tons of passive income streams out there. So I researched all of them, wrote about how to do all of them. I came up with a list of 28 ideas and that's what my second book is about. And they're both on Amazon. Cool. That second book would be a, con- you know, we talked about like ways to earn more money right now for real estate agents as, as some of the stuff slows down. That could be a really interesting one to add to, add to the listening list. So the, or the, the reading that I listen to my, I hardly ever read a book anymore, but I listen to books all the time and mm-hmm. I try to get through 10 to 15 of them every month. And so those are, those are great reminders. So you had been building up all your real estate stuff mm-hmm. and then you told me before coming on that you made a transition sometime recently or since last time, instead of managing properties yourselves, you decided, I think, to sell your real estate and invest in some in, in syndications instead. So 
So did yes. I get that right? Tell me about that process and, and why did you do it? Okay. So my ex-husband and I, by 2021, had 38 doors, six buildings, 38 doors, all in Louisville, Kentucky. And in 2021, we decided to sell most of our portfolio for a few reasons. Um, it didn't have to do with our divorce. That was after that. But we looked at it this way. So three of our buildings, three of our properties were like 10 or 12 unit buildings and they were rent by the room buildings. They were a boarding house style in Louisville, Kentucky. And we were providing affordable housing to the community of Louisville, Kentucky by doing the rent by the room model. The problem with that was out of all the passive income streams, that one is one of the less passive income streams. And early on in our journey, when we didn't have a lot of money or we, when we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of time, we were willing to hustle. We were willing to self-manage and buy these properties that might've been a little bit more hands-on so that we can make money quickly. And although these boarding houses were cash cows, I mean, we made a ton of money from them. We just got to the point in our wealth, fortunately, where we just started valuing our time a lot more. We didn't necessarily need to make more than we were making once we reached financial independence. So we started thinking about how can we transition this money into an even more passive income stream. We were, we were kind of done with the boarding house model. It was, it was more hands-on than we wanted. We also had some liabilities with those buildings. Um, you know, tenants are in close quarters. There were like two tenants who accidentally set different fires in these buildings within a couple months of each other. We had never experienced that before. And luckily nothing was majorly damaged. Nothing, you know, nothing was majorly burned down. It was pretty minor, but it just got me freaked out. And it got me thinking, you know, if somebody on the first floor of one of these buildings had set a fire, who could have been hurt? Like what's the worst case scenario that could have happened? And it was just eating at me. And it's like, yes, I had all the LLCs and the umbrella liability, but still, if something happens to people under your property, I just, I don't know if I could live with myself. So I wanted to have more peace of mind. And those properties just felt like a liability the way, they, the way that they were set up. So that's another reason. The third reason we sold in 2021 is, as you know, it was a great market to sell. It yeah. was a seller's market. If we were going to sell those properties and take the profits, that was the right time to do it. And we did make out very well. So that is why we downsized our portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. The I think a lot of people, when, they, when, I, when I first got started investing in rental houses, they were like class C type stuff because it showed the best cash flow. Yeah. Like, Hey, you can buy this one for a hundred thousand dollars, but it rents for $1,500 a month. Uh, You know, the first apartment complex I got, I would say it was, I mean, it wasn't even a class C. It was like a class D level. Like later there's like a meth lab that gets busted in there and there's like people getting shot at inside. And it was like, but on paper it looked so fantastic. But the, so I think when, when people first get started or they have lots of energy or, or it's also a great way to learn the system, like being, but it's definitely not passive. When you buy a, when you buy a, a rental and if you buy like a class A apartment complex or a class A house and you hire a property manager and it's renting, let, let's say you buy a new construction house for $300,000. It's got a warranty and you hire a property manager. That's passive because your money every month is coming in. And if you've got a good property manager, they're managing that. They might even be paying your mortgage for you. So you just get the extra inside your account. If you get to like a class C or a class D level, then even with like a property manager, you're still having to make these decisions every month. They're like, well, we think you need to replace the roof now, or do you want to do the repair? Or do you want to do this $500 HVAC repair? Or do you want to do the $5,000 one? So I think a lot of people in their real estate investment journey, it starts like that. First, I'm going to get the first thing I can because I got to get my feet wet and it's, I can't afford a class A one. And that one looks really good on paper. And then we use up the time. And if you only have one or two houses, well, you got plenty of time to manage it as it starts growing you get less. And so I try to make a lot of transitions from like class C and class D to like class A, like really nice stuff to where you're not going to have to be making those decisions every day. But most of real estate for me, for me at least, and maybe it's kind of like being hands-on, it's not purely passive, right? Like there's different interactions that we have to make, but like a class A with a property manager is as close as it gets. But but now, so you, you took that, you, you sold it a good time, and I could totally see how even the boarding house style was great at the beginning. And then after a while, you're like, it's like house hacking. House hacking is brilliant. Like somebody <laughs> that, that buy their house and they ran out all four rooms. That's brilliant. They're, but that's not passive. Like the, I'm sure there's times where it's like really awkward at dinner because you have three different tenants and something crazy is going on because nobody cleaned the dishes. <laughs> you know, who, who knows? Yeah. I don't want roommates anymore now where I am. I used to. I used to be willing to do that. Um, 
And what's cool is that the longer you invest, like the la- later on, you can afford to be more picky with your properties yeah. because later on you have more money. Starting out, you have to make some sacrifices and that's fine. Yeah. That's what everyone does. Delayed gratification. It's like you do yeah, the, that's right. like you might do the thing at the beginning. You might do the thing at the beginning where you're trying to, to house hack or, or, or buy that class C, class D because later you're going to get to have the really nice stuff. So you sold that and you started investing in syndications. Like, yes. What does that mean? Like, I know what it means, but for listeners, you're telling me syndications. What, is, what does that mean? What'd you do with your money? This is my favorite thing. I love learning about them. I love investing in them. I love talking about them. Syndications are where it's at for me. So what is a syndication? It's where an investor goes out. Maybe she finds a $10 million apartment po- complex and she can't buy that on her own. So she can form a syndication and that allows her to raise funds from people like you and me, private limited partner investors. And the cool thing is when we give this person our funds, when we invest in the syndication, we're not a lender. We're not just lending our money and getting paid back interest. We are actually part owners in this syndication. So we are entitled to a share of the profits. That includes cash flow profits, which are normally distributed quarterly, and profits if it ever is refinanced or sold. And what I love about syndications is that I don't know another way to invest in real estate that is truly 100% passive. This is 100% passive. You don't have any say in the management decisions or in the renovations or in the tenants. Now, some people don't like that, but I like it <laughs> because yeah. I don't want to do anything anymore, right? Um, it's just really mailbox money. Now, there is some upfront work that you'll have to do finding good syndicators, being connected to trustworthy people, and then doing due diligence on the deal to make sure it's something you really do want to invest in. But once you send your money in, it is 100% passive. Now, the reason I couldn't invest in syndications starting out is I didn't have the money to do it. A lot of these have minimums of twenty-five or fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars, and I did not have that kind of cash starting out. So this is something that I had to transition into later on. And then another potential drawback, if that's the way you look at it, is sometimes you have to be an accredited investor. Not always. So if you're not accredited, don't feel like you can't invest in syndications. You still can. It's just some deals you have to be accredited. And that means you either have a net worth of a million dollars, excluding your primary residence, or you have made, I think it's $200,000 in the last two years as a single person or $300,000 combined if you're married in the last two years. So that's how you qualify for that status. But again, it's not necessary on every single syndication. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it is something like that. The um, the accredited investor status, the the million dollar net worth, but the um, but it, it's interesting to be able to do that. So you said, but one of the things people need to be able to do is find the right syndicator, because the I think for a, a, you know a lot of agents or people right now, there's a lot of people on the sidelines. And I know a lot of people that have pulled money out and they're like, oh, we, we want to buy houses again, but we're like waiting for these different corrections. They don't know what's going to happen. The so how do you find? the best syndicator because now I get, I get syndications sent to me all the time. I get yeah. people reaching out all the time and say, Hey, here's what we're raising money for. Do you want in on this? And I love the idea about it being passive. I'm a little bit of a control freak. So then I go like, well, will somebody else do as good with my money as I would do with my money? No, no uh, one else is ever going to do, but just FYI in general, no one else yeah. is ever going to do as good with your money as you'll do with your own money. And on my own rental properties, I make more money than I make on syndications but syndications, I'm still making good money. So you do give a little bit up, but I think it's worth it. So sorry to interject, but continue. how do you vet your syndicator? What'd you say? How do you vet your syndicators? How do I vet them? So yeah, how do you find good syndicators? How do you vet them? I had a lot of trial and error starting out. And one thing I did wrong is I was just looking on you know, LinkedIn or Facebook groups or places online that I thought good syndicators would be, bigger pockets or whatever. And not that that's a bad place to look, but it's hard to trust somebody without having like a mutual connection or somebody else that introduces you that ha- already knows them and trusts them and has already invested with them. So instead of continuing this sort of cold approach, I just started asking around. I started listening to podcast hosts and asking my investor friends, hey, who have you invested with that you really think is good at syndicating deals? And once I started doing that, that's when I started meeting some really experienced and knowledgeable syndicators. I now own nine syndications, or not own, but I'm a partner in nine syndications, limited partner. And I've invested with some of these syndicators multiple times. Happy to share, you know, make introductions for anyone that's interested. Another thing in terms of vetting them is you definitely need to have a list of questions to ask them. 
every syndicator you meet should absolutely be trying to set up time to talk to you on the phone. Um, that's, that's a requirement that a lot of them have is that they need to have established a relationship with you in order to send you deals. So if you get introduced to somebody and they're immediately not making an effort to set up a phone call with you, that's to me a little bit of a red flag. Once you get on the phone call, there are some really helpful questions you can ask your syndicators, your potential syndicators. You can ask, hey, how many deals have you done? How many deals have you exited is even more important because anyone can start a syndication, but I want to know what their track record of success after they've sold the property Great and after question. they've returned all of the funds. Like, how have you done? What's the worst deal you've ever done and what happened and why? And what's the best deal you've ever done? Have you ever had a capital call where you have to go back to your initial investors and ask for more money? Because that's typically seen as a red flag, but depending on how they answer the question, it might not be you know, a deal breaker. You just want to learn their thought processes and if they're, they are learning and making changes going forward. A big one I'm asking syndicators right now is about interest rates. You know, Are you purchasing interest rate caps? And if so, when you are putting out your projections of how this deal is going to perform, are you projecting it at the interest rate you're closing at or are you projecting it at the interest rate cap? Because if your property can't cash flow and be profitable, if you get all the way up to that cap on that interest rate, then that's, I mean, that's the only way you should be projecting your deals and estimating yeah. profits. So that's one that I kind of learned the hard way, actually. Um, but those are just some examples of questions that I ask syndicators to screen them. Real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Thank you for letting me interrupt for a second. I've got something really, really important to talk about. You know how last year we kept talking about that mastermind? What is the mastermind? What are we talking about with that mastermind? Last May, there were like 60 or 70 people of you listeners that had never met, flew out to Austin, Texas. We all hung out at this awesome event center and we spent a couple days with some great guest speakers talking about skills and strategies to succeed in real estate. And then we had these mastermind tables where everyone rotated, everyone got to meet everybody, everyone got to provide value. Some of the agents there had only done one or two deals ever. Some of the agents there had done hundreds of deals and they all got to interact and help each other build their business and build their strategies. And I've heard so many stories of friendships that came from that, of referrals that have come from that. There were six or seven people at that one that heard me talk about doing an Ironman and we all did an Ironman together in, in North Carolina last month and we had never even met before the podcast live. So the it was it's, it's been such such a cool experience. The I would love it for you guys to come. Today's March 6th through 8th. The sign ups right now go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind. We also have a room block set up. It's three days downtown Austin. Great, really cool hotel, really cool uh, convention center that we're going to be hosting it. And we're going to get a chance to, I can't wait to meet you guys. I can't wait for you to meet other listeners. I can't wait for you to develop these new interactions. And really what we're teaching, yeah, last year it was like, how do you make a business better? But the market was just starting to turn and I was trying to give some people some advice of what to do when it, when it was happening. Now it has turned. And this time we're going to be talking so much about how to pivot and what to do next. So uh, again, I hope you signed up for the mastermind. Sorry for such the long advertisement, but I can't wait to meet you. Ibendigital.com forward slash mastermind. Okay, those are some great examples. Well, hopefully my people repurpose that one as its own little image because the, you know, being able to know what to ask and how to ask it. The interest rate caps are fascinating. It was something I learned about about a year ago, right? Was the, um, was the concept that, you know, if you're building a project right now or you're getting ready to, so some syndications like, hey, we're going to buy this land and we're going to build this apartment complex and here's how much money we're going to make and the interest rate's going to be six and three quarters. But if you don't know what it's going to be, you can actually, you know, go to these different outfits and kind of buy insurance about, uh, through it or like through trading desks. And it's not necessarily with the lender to so these other agencies that you can say, hey, I want to get a loan of this much. What's the bet that I can make? And they'll do something. of, Oh, you pay us twenty five thousand dollars today. And if on your closing date, if it's more than that, we will pay up to this amount. But if the rate is less than that and it's just they're just doing a gamble of what the, or it's like a, it's like a, it's an insurance. It's just insurance against, against it. Fascinating stuff. So yeah. the, so over, so la, so your last couple of years, you had a lot of, you've had lots of life changes as you're changing some of that stuff. Anything else that's like, wh like what's one of the, some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the last year or two that you just, that you, that you'd like to share more that you think that people should know? Mm -hmm. Um, thank you for asking Aaron. So as you know, I, 
went through a not an amicable divorce last year, unfortunately. I was hoping yeah. it would be, and it wasn't. And everything got finalized just a few months ago, so it's over now. But something that, I don't know, it almost scares me, is I am such a, I feel like I'm such a competent financial individual. Like I used to be a financial advisor. I've had all these financial successes. I'm really, really good with my money. I know how to advocate for myself. Yet I made so so many mistakes with my money leading into my marriage, before we were married, during during marriage. And it cost me a lot when it came time to the divorce. And so I think about, you know, if someone like me messed up that bad, what does that mean for everyone? Because 50% of couples end up getting divorced, unfortunately. I never thought I would be one of them, but here I am. Nobody does. Yeah. yeah I mean, you have to just look at the, the facts, the math. 50% of people get divorced. And I learned so much. So I'd love to share some of those lessons that I learned just in case it helps anyone else out there because 50% of your listeners could be either divorced or going through one. And let's see. One of them is that I did not get a prenup. This is the biggest mistake I made. Um, and I used to have really mixed feelings on prenups, but I now think differently. A prenup, so for anyone who doesn't know what a prenup is, it's an agreement that you sign before you get married that outlines what happens in the event of a divorce. Like what happens financially? How are you going to split things up financially? Yeah. I used to feel like this doesn't feel good, you know, because it just feels like you're preparing for a divorce if you get a prenup. And so that's why I only for like super rich people, like no, only super rich people are going to get a prenup because of that. Like you you don't think of the average person doing that. Exactly. And that was my other reason against it is at the time that I met my ex-husband, I didn't have a substantial net worth and neither did he. It was, it was low and it was about equal. So I was like, if we're, if we're entering this marriage with equal assets, it shouldn't really matter. And that was a big, that's my biggest mistake. Um, if I could go back in time and change anything, it would be to get a prenup because what I didn't realize is that anything that I did during the marriage, like I started my own business. I have my own books. I have this whole business. And even though my ex-husband didn't make any financial contribution to it or any intellectual contribution to it, he was still legally entitled to half of my business just because I started it during the marriage which to me blows my mind. Um, But literally I, you know, a few months into our our divorce, I thought everything was going to hopefully be amicable. And then I got this email from the attorneys and they were like, Hey, your ex-husband wants to get your business valuated. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen because he had a really big salary at his W2 and my business is kind of like my livelihood. And we had sold most of our rentals by then, but yet, I couldn't go after his income because it wasn't seen as an asset, but because my business was an asset in the law, in the eyes of the government, he could come after my business. And I ended up having to get a business valuation and buy him out at 50% because legally that was what he was entitled to. Oh, Rachel, that's intense. That's yeah. like, uh, well, especially it's like your book, right? So you're like, everybody yes. says your money, honey, Rachel. So like, so you, you write a book, you get stuff from that. Like you're the sole writer of it and then having to share it's, um, it's interesting. Okay. So the, so that's, and I, I think a lot of people like that really explains uh, a concept there of, of, a, of a prenup of like having rights to, to what's yours in different scenarios. What are some other ones? Yeah. And I think another thing about the prenup too, just a reason for it is like, here's what I always tell people. You have car insurance, right? I mean, everyone has car insurance Mm -hmm. and it's not because you think you're going to cause an accident or you're going to do something stupid on the road. It's to manage, it's primarily to manage the risk of other people or something outside of your control or just a true accident. And it's, you have insurance because it's smart to protect yourself just in case something bad happens to you. That's kind of what a prenup is. I can control what I do as a person and how I am in my marriage, but I can't control the other person at all. You know, I can't control... Um, for example, and this is not necessarily applying to my situation, but as an example, if someone becomes like emotionally abusive, physically abusive, you can't control that other person. If some, if your partner becomes an alcoholic or a drug addict, if someone cheats, if someone realizes they have a different sexual orientation, like any of these things could happen in your marriage. And although you can control yourself, you can't control another person. That's why it's important to get a prenup. It's to, it's risk management. 
It is to manage the risk that something could change in your marriage that is outside your control. And the last thing I'll say, because I know I get really fired up and passionate about this topic, um, but here's the last thing I'll say, is that you already have a prenup. If you're married, you already have a prenup. It's the one that the state gives you. They will yeah. outline what happens for you if you get divorced. And I bet it is not going to be very favorable and it's not going to be what you want. So if you want to protect yourself, you better write up the prenup that you want and that you agree to, or else you are subjected to the government's desires and whims. So that is my rant, <laughs> if you will, yeah. about why it, it's important to get a prenup. Yeah, that's such a highlight. Yes. If you don't have one, you have one. You already, you actually, I've never thought of it like that. You actually have one. And the, in all of our businesses that we set up, all of our new partnerships, nobody likes this on the partnership part because we're all excited. We're about to buy a new business together. We're about to start a new business together. But we have, we have several pages that are outlined of what if we go out of business? What if there is, what if, what if we have a disagreement? What's that process? Who's allowed to buy who out? How does it work? How do we value it? Like we always write all of our business agreements with anybody. Right. And you're not hoping anything. that the business partnership isn't going to work out. You just do it because it's risk management and it's smart. Right. We're starting a business because we're planning to sell it for a hundred million dollars later. Yeah. But just in case it goes, it goes to nothing. You got to do that insurance. And I think that it's, you know, and we're just as, pa and people are just as passionate about businesses as anything else. So it's a, it's, it's an interesting topic. I'm glad you're brave enough to like, just br like broach it, to tell people about it, to say like, Hey, it's something that even if you're like just getting started in your life, it can't hurt because you already have one. You might as well get one that you both agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share about that. Um, I'm happy to share a couple other smaller mistakes I made too, if you would like. Yeah, we've got a few more minutes. I'd love to hear okay. So another mistake that I made was, well, I don't think this is my mistake because I never wanted to do this, but when you get attorneys involved in your divorce, the cost of your divorce is going to like 20 X what it otherwise would be. And I don't think people realize that you can also just mediate. You can go hire a mediator and they can help you divide up all the financial assets and you don't have to get attorneys involved necessarily. Um, once my ex hired an attorney, then I hired an attorney because I wasn't going to not have legal representation if he did. But so I feel like I was a little bit forced into that. But I think I literally think we would have come to the same outcome if we had just mediated, which would have saved us a lot of money. So my divorce and I'm still having costs come in from it, but it cost us about fifty two thousand dollars. OK, getting divorced is not cheap. It's very, very expensive. And if we had kept attorneys out of it and just mediated, it probably would have been under ten grand. So yeah. that's just something to consider because I don't think a lot of people realize there are some other options. Another thing is do not combine your accounts before you get married. Do not combine your accounts because if you get married and if you get divorced, everything that's a marital asset is going to potentially be split 50-50. Anything that's a separate asset, something that you have in your name only before the marriage, that's going to stay yours. And the mistake I made is that I added my ex-husband to my a lot of my accounts before we got married. And so when we got divorced, I didn't get to keep those as separate assets. Those had to also be divided 50-50, even though it was like mine. So that yeah. kind of sucks. So don't combine accounts before you get married. Um, there's a lot of other things I could say, but those are probably the three biggest mistakes. Dude, I'm I'm so um, well, I'm so proud of you. Or grateful that you're willing to share some of that stuff. And the and the other side of that too is it's like in marriage, it's intense. Nobody likes talking about that side of it. Nobody likes talking about those risks of it. The a lot of it lines up with like even business too, and, and real estate stuff too. Attorneys attorneys fees are so ridiculous whenever there's a dispute because it always ends up like the you know, there's a lawsuit and there's a $300,000 settlement and $150,000 goes to the attorney. Well, that means everybody would have been just as happy with $150,000 instead and no attorney fees, like in the middle, like there's all sorts That's of That's a good way of where, looking at it. Yeah. There's like these things that it's like, can't we just get along? Cause we're so in this like litigious world that we're in. Everybody's very quick to go. I'm going to call my attorney and have me do it. Or we always joke about like people that like are like can't pay their mortgage, but they're like, they don't pay their rent. But they're like, I'm going to call my attorney. It's like, you don't have it. You don't, you're not able to pay your attorney if you're not able to pay your rent because attorneys are expensive. It's like, yeah, the most, like I've got some great attorney buddies, but it is not cheap, cheap stuff. So the, um, 
it was great getting to catch up with you today the, and you. get to hear, you know, what's been going on. That reminder to our listeners about your books at a time when, you know, when we got, when we did our interview last time, it was this interesting time, right? We're six months into COVID and some stuff's turn around and some stuff's not. And I think it's pretty timely today to get to do it again. Cause I think there's a reminder of two of your books, um, that'll be very applicable for people right now in their businesses and the, and instead of, and it may be some people trying to retire or maybe taking some of those like habits and concepts you talked about. And it's less about retiring right now and less about like thriving more in a time that's a little bit unsettling uh, for a lot of people. That's just a little bit more challenging uh, for a lot of people. So I think it all applies. If people want to reach out to you and they want to hear more, you know, before we got on, I'm, I'm trying to talk you into coming out to our mastermind in Austin and maybe able to get to see some of our people in person. But if they want to hear more about you or talk to you or ask you questions, what's the best way to find you? Thank you. Yeah, my Instagram is Money Honey Rachel. Both of my books, Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, are available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio. And what I'd love to do for your listeners, Aaron, is for anyone who wants to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, I will give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com forward slash passive income to download that. And thank you again so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I wish everyone the best. Cool. That's awesome. That's an awesome free gift. So we'll put that in the show notes too. And Rachel, thanks for coming on. And Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there so go give us a review also be sure to go to hybendigital.com if you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you so go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.